At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. A warm and friendly low. Welcome to lovely Las Vegas. For Coast Cuts Youth with myself, Greg Spears, and now part of the Beeson family of podcasts. We've got a great podcast for you, and I will state this here at the top because it is going to be coming up a little bit later on in the show. There are going to be a few games towards the back half of today's podcast that I'm just not going to have matchups on because this has to be up by midnight Pacific time. I will be hosting the Greg Peterson Experience on VEASAN from 10 p.m. Pacific time to 1 a.m. For those of you guys out there on the East Coast, 1 to 4 a.m., there's going to be the podcast of every one of those hours up on the VEASAN Best Bets podcast as well. So while I'm going to be doing a little bit more speculating when it comes to games out there in like the Big West Final, the Pac-12 Final, what have you, I should have set matchups there. I'll be live reacting on VEASAN with it. It'll be in podcasts form so we've got you guys all covered there so I want to cover my basis and just wanted to say that right at the top so that way we've got you guys all covered there but with that said we do have a great podcast because Jim Root of the Three Man Weave is going to be joining me he does absolutely amazing work and all the gentlemen over there at the Three Man Weave do amazing work we're going to be talking about teams that maybe we're feeling a little bit more bullish slash bearish on based on what we've seen the last few days out here in conference tournaments we're also going to be talking about what could be a culprit of a lot of the meltdowns that we've been seeing in some of these conference tournaments as well. And we're going to be taking a look at what we've all got for Saturday as well. In the final segment, going to do my best to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Saturday as we hit some bank shots. Quite a few of these contests, they are going to be known, like I said, with regards to some of these West Coast games. I've got you guys covered with regards to the Greg Peterson experience on VSIN. I'm going to have the spreadsheet up on my Twitter feed at GUnit underscore 81 as well. So I've got you guys covered there, but going to be a little bit of speculating towards the back half of that. And when it comes to that Twitter handle at GUnit underscore 81, that's where you're able to fire in a Twitter question if you wind up having it. You're able to also send in their questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you. So we've got you guys all covered there. And I know that a lot of you guys have been asking if I do bracketology. I personally do not just because there's just no money to be made on hypotheticals. The second that we wind up getting matchups, I will be handicapping those. I will be getting right to work. But with this time of year, I am spending as much time as humanly possible trying to take a look at these teams. There is just no money to be made in a matchup that most likely, let's call it what it is, probably not going to be happening. I've had a lot of you guys ask me if I'm also going to be doing the NIT matchup, CBI. Obviously, we don't have the Vegas 16, but if we had the Vegas 16, I would do those all as well. So every one of the lesser tournaments as well, NIT, what have you, I'm going to have you guys cover picks, analysis, spreadsheet, everything. We've got you guys covered on those lesser tournament games as well. And when it comes to it, you're able to make quite a bit of money off the NIT. I've actually noticed that in past years, I've made a little bit more money off the NIT because 
fewer people wind up caring about it. So I do think that that is something that is very important. So don't worry, have you guys covered there. But now let's take a look back at what we wound up getting in college basketball on Friday. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. It's not normal that on a day like this, I would lead with a game out there in Conference USA, but... Anyone that wound up having UAB north of minus four, or even minus four for the push, or if you wound up having the under in this game, this was just a calamity on so many different levels. 102 to 98, UAB winds up being able to get the win in triple overtime. The handicap of this UAB versus Louisiana Tech game is going to be really interesting because Louisiana Tech and North Texas wound up playing a game in which neither team was able to get to 45. Louisiana Tech got the job done by got a 42 to 36 in a game that sent college basketball back to the dark ages. Meanwhile, you had 200 points in this one with UAB having to just fell like crazy to get back into it in double overtime. They were able to do so. Game shouldn't have even went to overtime because there was a terrible block charge call. Charge was called even though the guy was clearly inside the circle. And then from there, UAB winds up getting up by a count of 189. There was like 20 seconds left. Guy could have dribbled out the ball. Instead, they wind up going for the layup. And then from there, UAB, after they get the layup, they are called for a double technical. And Middle Tennessee winds up being able to bury a three down by seven. So that way, the game lands on four. Any questions, comments, concerns as to the recap of that? I did as best as I could with it. We're going to talk about this with Jim as well, but boy, oh boy. I mean, if you wound up having the under, if you wound up taking like a four and a half with UAB, thoughts and prayers with you because, man, I mean, I will say Middle Tennessee was the right side in this one. So if you wanted taking North of five, you got to the window and you deserved it. But I mean, I think that there's a lot of gripes that can be had from this game in general. So there was that. Toledo, it looks like, is going to be going to the NIT. They wind up losing to Akron by kind of 70-64 to 64 as Akron in this game. They wind up doing a very solid job with their defense. The Toledo team in the top 20 with regards to offensive efficiency. They wind up shooting 44% from Florida Toledo. 10 of 22 at the free throw line. Meanwhile, Akron went 12 of 15 at the free throw line. And sometimes it's just tough to gauge because there are clear bad free throw shooting teams. Toledo came into this game shooting 76.5% at the free throw line, which he shot of their top three scores, shooting above 80% at the free throw line. So, I mean, there are just calamities that wind up happening like that. That was certainly one of them. Something else that wound up happening is Creighton just completely housing Providence. They went on at one point a 31-2 run. This game was tied up 25-25, to and then Creighton, towards the end of the first half, into the second half, they wound up just unloading a can of you-know-what on Providence, and for Creighton, you got to give them a lot of credit. They wound up shooting the lights out in this one, 9-23 from three-point range. You had a Providence team that actually had more shots at the basket than Creighton. Creighton wound up getting up 57 field goal attempts. Providence, they wound up getting up 65. They got 16 offensive rebounds. They just won 3 of 24 from 3-point range. Going to be interesting to see this Providence team and where they wind up getting seated because I know that there's a lot of people that they've been talking about how lucky Providence has been getting at Providence. I mean, I'll continue to say it. They've been able to get a lot of good breaks, but you do wind up creating your own luck as well. And in this one, well, everything wound up going wrong for them. And give credit to Creighton, a team that's been playing without their starting point guard in Ryan Nemart. They wind up having Ryan Hawkins give them 12 rebounds. They did a very solid job on the glass, winning the battle by kind of 42 to 39. And they did a good job with only 10 turnovers in this game locking down in the second half. So, a lot of credit there. Kansas looked dominant. They were able to get a win and cover against TCU by kind of 75-62, to 62, really controlling this game, start to finish. And for TCU, 
got your offensive concerns with this team. 10 of 21 at the free throw line. Damian Bod, seven turnovers. That's just not going to work. TCU is a team that they only shoot about 31% from three-point range, sub 70% at the free throw line. And for Kansas, you wind up having Mr. O'Shea Obaji give you 22 points in this one. And Remy Martin looks to be back for this team. He winds up having 10 points. So that was a very good sign for this Kansas bunch. Tennessee, their defense looking stifling. Mississippi State. Looks like they're going to be going to the NIT, 72-59. to 59. The final in this one is Tennessee, 8 of 19 from three-point Kennedy Chandler was dealing with a little bit of an injury in this one, but even with the injury, 11 points, 6 assists, did not wind up turning the ball over, so that was rock solid for this bunch. What was not rock solid for Wisconsin is Johnny Davis. He looked relatively close to 100%. Not fully 100%, but he looked relatively close. He just wound up having a poopy performance of 3 of 19 from the floor in Wisconsin. They're going to be likely looking at a little bit of an early exit if they don't wind up having Johnny Fire and all cylinders, and also if they wind up going 12 of 21 at the free throw line. Once again, a Wisconsin team that for the year they've been shooting 74.8% at the free throw line. Michigan State, they overcome shooting 1 of 11 from three point range. You'll be able to survive in advance 69 to 63. By the way, it's a Michigan State team that was not looking very good towards the, even the beginning part of March. Now they've been able to string together three straight wins. They're playing some of their best basketball here down the stretch. Thanks to Marcus Bingham Jr. 19 points, 11 boards, three blocks. A guy that was in Tom Izzo's doghouse for much of the year. He's been able to come through, and he's been looking very solid recently. Indiana, they're going to be playing against Iowa in the Big Ten semifinal. 65-63, to 63, they get the job done. And we just have an absolutely startling tweet with regards to this. Got to give proper credit. It's with Cooper Watson, someone who has joined the podcast once. He does a great job over there at Bustin Brackets. But when it comes to this Illinois team, when they do slash do not have Andre Carbello, they've got some big splits. Illinois, 3-6 and six when Andre Carpello plays at least 20 minutes, 6-2 and two when he plays fewer than 20 minutes, and 13-1 and one when he doesn't play at all. That's just absolutely remarkable. Now, Carpello actually came in off the bench, and the numbers were not bad with him. He wound up making some bad plays down the stretch, but if you just looked at the box score, actually not too bad. He winds up having just 5 points, but only 1 turnover, 4 assists, 10 rebounds. Problem is, he also went one of seven from the floor. Kofi Goburn, he wound up having himself 23.7 boards. He did his part. And for Indiana, Xavier Johnson has looked relatively solid being able to run the show for the team. 13.6 assists to one turnover. So he's been able to rise up. And then Trace Jackson Davis did Trace Jackson Davis things. He and Ray Thompson have combined 31 points and 16 rebounds. So Indiana's going to be facing off against that Iowa team that I mentioned a little bit earlier. They take it to Rutgers, 84-74. to Going to be very interesting to see if we're going to be handicapping Rutgers in the NCAA tournament or the NIT. And Keegan Murray, 26 points, 8 boards. He did a very solid job in this game. Rutgers, they wound up losing the rebound battle by a count of 34-28. Rutgers winds up going 6-21 from 3 points. Just 5 turnovers for Rutgers. Iowa's actually a team that they do a solid job of being able to take away the ball. But you wind up having Jordan Bohannon. Couple with Tony Perkins be able to give you 16 points apiece. And Iowa, 25 of 27 at the free throw line. We are going to be talking with Jim a little bit more about this team as well. Tulane is going to be intriguing. They get the job done against Temple by kind of 69 to 60. And for those of you guys that want to take the DK Nation pick of Cincinnati, catching 12 points, this was just absolutely brutal. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Cincinnati winds up losing by kind of 69 to 56. They're up 37 to 30 in the beginning part of the second half. And for that matter as well, Cincinnati was down by five points with about seven minutes remaining. And then they made like your buddy at the bar and they could not wind up closing. Cincinnati, seven of 32 from three par range. Now, this is a South Houston team with regards points a lot on a per possession basis. Top five team. Houston also relatively solid on the glass. But I mean, Cincinnati wound up having 15 offensive 
offensive rebounds in this game. They only turned the ball over seven times, so actually played relatively well. But for Houston, what was the big difference maker in this game was Fabian White Jr. 18 points, 8 boards, so he was certainly able to do his part as Houston able to survive and advance Davidson. They've now got Flouster Lawyer back to the fold after you wanted missing the last few weeks of the regular season, 74-56. to 56. They wind up housing Fordham, and the big thing for this Davidson team, they're one of the best three-point shooting teams in all of college basketball, won 6 of 16 on Friday. Overall for the year, shooting right around 38.5% from three-point range. And what else you have to like for this Davidson team is that they haven't necessarily been too deep all season long, but Desmond Watson was able to come in off the bench. He wanted to give the team 13 very quality points, so if he's able to give this team a little bit of a spark moving forward, that's going to be very beneficial to them. Now, I am doing this a little bit ahead of time, so I really don't have the West Coast results on this show. So once again, Greg Peterson experience has you guys covered there. And when it comes to what we're seeing in college basketball right now, if you wind up taking a look at what we wind up seeing just over the last seven days in general, covers does a very good job of being able to break this down. And we've been seeing some very interesting results to say the least. And we haven't necessarily seen overly demonstrative splits because when it comes to college basketball, typically you can expect to see a couple more unders at this time of year. But even though unders have been a little bit better, they're only hitting right around like a 52-53% clip as I wind up doing this over the course of the last few days that we've seen in conference tournaments. Now, I'm doing this with quite a few results pending on Friday, which is why I'm not going to give out exact percentages because they are going to vary quite a bit, but has been very interesting to take a look at it. And we've been seeing underdogs wind up doing a little bit better towards the early daytime rather than the nighttime as well. One thing that I did not wind up recapping, and I think I should probably do that right about now. How about Texas A&M? They were able to get the job done against Auburn, an Auburn team that with regards to their home and road splits, I do think that that is something to really take a look at because when they've been away from the state of Alabama, they have not necessarily been able to get the job done at Texas A&M. Got the job done by kind of 67 to 62 in this one. Auburn allowed Texas A&M to go 8 of 16 from three-point range for Auburn. They did wind up having eight blocks in this one. Walker Kessler, he did his thing. 16 points, no turnovers, four blocks, nine rebounds. So, I mean, he was terrific. But Jabari Smith, 5 of 16 from floor, 17 points. Did still wind up giving the team nine rebounds for Auburn. They only wound up winning the rebound battle by kind of 43 to 42 for Auburn. Also, only nine turnovers to the 16 that Texas A&M wound up having. But Henry Coleman the third, 16 points. 10 boards. That was very important for Texas A&M as they were really able to control this game throughout. Auburn was able to make a late charge and then from there, well, it did not wind up going their way. So that's what we wound up seeing in college basketball on Friday. Now let's react to it a little bit more. Try to get the thoughts of Jim Roots on the teams that he has been impressed slash not impressed with over the last few days and look forward to Saturday. That is up next right here on Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Apes Pearson, now part of the VEASAN family of podcasts. And speaking of VEASAN, if you're looking for a little bit more of this March Madness, We've got you covered with our VEASAN College Basketball Betting Guide. We're taking a look at all 68 D1 teams. And if you wind up signing up for this offer, it's $19 from now through the end of the NCAA tournament. So this is going to be wrapping up on April 5th. So right after that Monday, we got you guys covered 24-7 video streaming. You've got my show, The Greg Peterson Experience, which I've been bumping up a few times. That is, like I said, 10 p.m. Pacific time, 1 a.m. Eastern time, start time. So we're going to have you guys all covered there with the VEASAN Betting Guide. We preview all 68 teams. Take a look at some of the Cinderella's that might be worth taking a look at and some of the lesser teams that you might not want to be taking a look at. My bracket is going to be in there as well. So we've got you covered. And that offer is at vcin.com slash madness. And up next right here on this podcast, we've got Jim Ritter, the three-man Rick Weave on Coast Coast Seats with myself, Greg Peterson. And we're back 
your lovely Las Vegas for Dusk Soups with myself, Greg Oopspears, and now part of the VEASAN family podcast, and it is great to be joined by our guests as this man does absolutely amazing work over there at the three-man weave. It is Jim Root. All the gentlemen over there at the three-man weave, they are doing great work. As he's, You've also got Matt Cox and Kaya McKeon as well. These guys do a show daily for the Field of 68. Does some work over there at Action Network, pick-wise. List goes on and on. Jim is a little bit of everywhere, much like myself, a man that was born and raised in Wisconsin and came out here to lovely Las Vegas. And to be able to follow Jim on Twitter, that is at Second Chance Points. That's the number two ND and then Chance Points. And Jim, great to have you aboard. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate you having me, Greg. It's the best time of the year. Good to be talking to you. It is great to have you aboard, and it is absolutely amazing what we've been able to get this college basketball season in general. And here in March, things have been just absolutely harebrained. What have you made out of a lot of these late-game collapses? Because we have been seeing so many of them, and it just feels like it's been very strange in that we've seen a lot of favorites get up big in these games then just be unable to close out. Yeah, it, it feels like they're getting tight to me, uh, especially when it's teams that have a lot to play for. I think usually we think of that as a positive motivational angle, like, oh, they're going to be so locked in, they're going to be dialed in. But I think when they have something big on their minds, like a tournament bid or in some of the smaller leagues, like the auto bid, it's causing more tension than it is anything else. And they're starting to turn the ball over. They're missing free throws. Guys that are normally safe with the ball are, are just sloppy. I almost think it's turning into a bad thing when teams have a lot to play for. And some of the teams that know that they're not in or on the outside, like the way Texas A&M is playing, like they're so loose right now, although they almost blew a lead to Florida. So yeah, I mean, I think it really is reflective of how much these games mean and the fact that we've got some young kids playing the game that are young guys playing the game that are prone to some of these mistakes. Yep, and I think that no matter how you want to handicapping it, I don't think anyone saw the triple overtime game between UAB and Middle Tennessee turning out the way that it did. For one, I mean, how do you wind up responding to that game? And what do you make out of the UAB versus Louisiana Tech game now? Because, I mean, you've got the polar opposite here. You've got a Louisiana Tech team that they wound up being able to get the job done against North Texas by kind of 42 to 36. That took college basketball back to the dark ages. Neither team shot above 29% from the field. And you've got a UAB team that they were very lucky to not lose the double overtime. They forced triple overtime. They're able to get the job done, but the way that that game wound up ending, obviously betters are going to be much more salty about it than the team of UAB because you wind up having the technical fouls and everything like that. But I think that this is one of the craziest games to handicap ever. Yeah, it's wild. That venue has been so big for unders. Like the shooting numbers, I think, are pretty indicative of what's going on. They're playing in a football stadium, split in half. It's been hard to score points there. Obviously, that game went over, the the Middle Tennessee one, because of the triple overtime, but it was under in regulation, almost under in an extra overtime, too. A tough one to figure. I kind of like Louisiana Tech mainly because trends back to a little closer to my preseason expectations. I thought they'd be a hair better than a super talented UAB team, but it's going to be interesting. Kenneth Lofton really struggled with North Texas' defense. They're going against Trey Jamison, a, a power conference big man or a down transfer, so they, they have the size to combat him inside. It's going to be an interesting game in that venue. Like I said, I think it'll be a low-scoring, drag-out kind of brawl, and we'll see if he's able to make a couple more shots down the stretch. It's going to be really intriguing to see what we wind up getting in that one, as we do have Jim Root of the three-man weave joining me on the podcast. Now, Jim, we're doing this as we've got quite a few to-be-determined matchups for Saturday because it's just absolutely wild what we're seeing in college basketball right now. But with that said, out of what we've seen, I'll call it the last two days, Friday and Thursday, is there a team or two that wound up following out that you're really now selling on going to the NCAA tournament? Because we have seen, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, a whole bunch of collapses. And 
I do feel like there are quite a few teams that they wound up really underachieving in their conference tournament that I just take a look at them going into the NCAA tournament. There are some of these teams that they might wind up going to the NIT, by the way. But with that said, I take a look at a few of these teams and I just sour on them, much like what we wound up seeing out of a team like an LSU on Friday. Yeah, LSU is definitely one. Their offense is so pitiful. At a very high level, top of the bracket, it's got to be Auburn. The guard play is so erratic. I mean, Wendell Green made a couple shots late, but the reason they were down and needing him to make shots were because he and Katie Johnson were laying bricks and building a house all game. I have a lot of skepticism around Auburn. I'm less worried about Baylor. I almost think it's better for Baylor to have taken some days off considering their health issues. Marquette's another team that has really sunk towards the end of the year. I have a lot of concern about them, too, losing to a shorthanded Creighton team without their starting point guard combined with their little tailspin down the stretch. I have some worries about Marquette and Auburn, I think, are two teams that fit here. Yep, I certainly do think so as well. And then I take a look at a team that I'm becoming a little bit more bullish on as well. And it's been really interesting to watch them over the last few days, and that would be Iowa. Iowa's a team that I always have my fear with regards to their defense. We are going to be seeing them on Saturday against an Indiana team that, even though Indiana's made their run, I feel like they've been a little bit of fool's gold being able to come back from Michigan. I attribute that a little bit more to Michigan. Well, not necessarily being so great. And then in the game that they wound up playing against Illinois yesterday, Andre Carbello is just a hot mess for this team. No offense or buts about it. Whenever Andre Carbello winds up hitting the floor, it just feels like bad things wind up happening for this Illinois team. But with that said, I do take a look at Iowa. I'm starting to feel better about them. Like I said, still questions about the defense, but I think that they should be able to get the job done against Indiana. I do think that this is a team that they're really starting to peak at the right time. Maybe they felt like they got a little monkey off their back with that Michigan win. I've been impressed with them here in this final week. Going into the tournament, maybe some skepticism, but the way Xavier Johnson has played has been remarkable the last three weeks. He's actually been like a trustworthy point guard, way great assist to turnover ratios, making some shots. So I'm going to have a long internal debate on how much I trust these Hoosiers heading into the postseason. Uh, We'll see where I land. I I can't say for sure right now. It's probably going to depend on the matchup. Yeah, I do agree with you. I do think that it's going to be really intriguing to see what we wind up getting out of Indiana because you know that the defense is going to be there. But at the same time, the offense, it has been oh so suspect. And I think that that makes the handicap of the total for Saturday's game so intriguing as well as we do have Jim Root of the three-man weave joining me on the podcast. says got a total that's right now right around 144. I'm seeing a straight 143.5. I'm seeing a straight 144.5, so right around 144. And I think it does wind up getting intriguing when you wind up having these teams that are sort of polar opposites. Indiana, a team that hangs their head on defense. Iowa, a team that's very prolific on offense because we're going to be seeing a lot of these moving forward, not just tomorrow, but into the NCAA tournament where you got a fast team versus a slow team. Typically, I do think that you give a little bit of an edge to a slow team being able to make things a little bit more grimy, but there are certain teams, I take a look at the Citadel, who's not going to be in the NCAA tournament. They always wind up getting their tempo, and I would sort of put Iowa, aside from when they wind up playing against Penn State, sort of in that vein as well. Yeah, in Weave, we always discuss kind of the contrast between teams that are pace takers versus pace makers. And Iowa feels like a, a pace maker. They get you to play up tempo. Sometimes like a slight benefit of their, their defense not being awesome is that the, the other team feels like, oh, we can get a quick basket, we'll run. And I was happy to run with them, and it just kind of builds on itself. And Iowa has more offensive weapons than most of the teams are going to play. So if you get in that kind of a, a situation, it favors the Hawkeyes. The way the Murrays are playing, the way Bohannon's knocking down shots. I like them a lot more than I have in the past. I think I've always had some skepticism around McCaffrey, but I've had a little bit of a 
come to Jesus of just because McCaffrey's never made the second weekend, that's true until it's not. Like I need to stop using that as a bias the same way like Tony Bennett couldn't make a run in the tournament until he did. Jay Wright couldn't win a national title until he did. I need to probably disregard that a little bit and focus on evaluating this particular team, which I think is very good. I do agree with you there. I do think that we're going to be seeing some great action on Saturdays. We do have Jim Root joining me on the podcast. And when it comes to Saturday, obviously, I'm going to throw this out here right now. We don't know a lot of these matchups right now. But is there maybe going to be a game or two that you're really going to be keeping your eyes on? Maybe not even from just a betting perspective in general, but there might be a conference championship game, a team that has a bit on the line for the NCAA tournament that you really have your eye on because I do think that we're going to get some great action on Saturday. And I think that there's going to be so many teams that are playing from these mid-major conferences. I'm taking a look at a team like a Grand Canyon that if they do wind up making the NCAA tournament, I certainly want to see where they wind up getting see it because I think that they could be able to do a little damage. Yeah, quite a few. A lot of intrigue going here. I think the thing I'm looking forward to most is the Mountain West, just because I think it'll be a great game. Not a ton of implications. I think Wyoming has probably gotten themselves safely in. A loss to Boise isn't going to knock them down the S-curve at all. I could see them, you know, the committee twisting themselves into a logic of leaving them out, but I, I tend to think they're safe. So I just am ready for some great games out of the Mountain West. I think Oklahoma has that possibility of pushing their way into the field. Texas A&M, maybe, if they get another win in the semifinals. There's a lot of different spots to look at. I'm curious to see how it all shakes out. At the time, it's, you know, as we're recording this, in 48 hours, we'll have a bracket. So it's going to be all packed into a very tight window here, but I'm, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it. I am right there with you. And Jim, I know that you and everyone else over there at the Three Man Weave have been doing magnificent work all year long. Whenever you guys join me, you guys always bring the goods. You did so once again today. So let the good people at home know what's all on tap for you both this weekend and going into March Madness. And how people can follow along on social media and other platforms. Yeah, we are the Three Man Weave. We've got the Twitter handle at 3MW underscore CBB. All our content really gets routed through there. You'll see the shows we're doing, the write-ups we're doing, podcasts and stuff. we got a lot coming with Action Network. we got a bunch of shows coming with the Field of 68. We will be live after the selection show doing, during the Field of 68's marathon. That will be from 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern, so check that out via our Twitter. If you're interested in any of that stuff, we'll have it all up on the Three Men We Twitter and check it out that way. There's going to be a ton of it over the next week or so. There is going to be a ton of it, and you've got Jim doing absolutely amazing work, being able to hold it down. All the gentlemen over there at the Three Men We they work higher they work tirelessly. They put in the work all 365 days of the year and on a leap year, 366. And today it was Jim who wound up doing a great job on the podcast. So big thanks him for joining me right here on Coast Coast Hoops, now part of the Beeson family podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Saturday as we hit some bank shots. Las Vegas for Ghost of Ghost with myself, Greg Eves, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. It is always a pleasure to get any of the gentlemen of the three-man weave on the podcast. Today was our good friend Jim that wound up joining me. He brings it every single time he's on here. All the gentlemen over there at the three-man weave, Kai and Matt included, these guys do absolutely amazing work. And today it was Mr. Jim who wound up joining me, so big thanks to him. Now it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Saturday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. 
Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JaronScore1, especially when we wind up getting out to the West Coast games with doing the Greg Peterson experience from 10 p.m. Pacific to 1 a.m. I am going to have a few games of which I am just not going to know matchups on. I'm going to do my best to speculate, but there's probably going to be a little bit of, shall we say, volatility. There's going to be a little bit of movement with some of these games depending upon what winds up happening with the final. I'm going to be trying to speculate if we wind up getting one matchup or another. So just want to have that forewarning out there right now. I've got the spreadsheet all pinned up on my Twitter feed at JRNS41. Once all the matchups are there, I've got you covered with that regard. So we've got you guys all covered, but just note that because this has to be up by midnight Pacific time with having to do a show and a podcast. I just have to speculate on some of those. But let's get started with a few games that we know we're going to be getting as we start out with the Ivy League. 601-602 on the bang board. Cornell and Princeton are going to be doing battle. Princeton has find themselves a 6-6.5 point favorite. Their total is anywhere between 153, seeing as high as a 154 and a half. And it's fun in which I wound up saying my total out of 155 because you got a Princeton team that they have scored 69 or more points in each out of their last 20 two games. This team has been an absolute wagon with that regard. And then you take a look at what you're able to get out of this Cornell team and shall we say this is not the most efficient defense at all of college basketball and they're playing at warp speed. It's a Cornell team that is in the top 25 with regards to total possessions per game, 239th with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis. Princeton, they're not a team that's holding up the point of attack either. This is a team that with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis 210th but in the top 25 with regards to points scored on a per possession basis and a big reason why is because Princeton, one of the best three-point shooting teams at all of college basketball ball, shooting as a collective 38.8% from three-point range. Four of your top five scores all of which give you at least 9.7 points per contest. Shoot at least 38.7% from three-point, including Jalen Llewellyn, 15.5 points, four boards. You've got to love to be able to get out of Ethan Wright, 14.5 points, seven boards. And then Tucson Evuben, who is the only guy among their top five scorers that isn't shooting above 38.5% from three. 15.5 points, six boards, five assists, steal and a half per game as a six-foot eight combo player. So that has been very terrific. And then take a look at Cornell. Certainly a team which holds greater than some of its parts. It's a team that averages just below 80 points per game, and yet they've got one guy that averages more than 10.2 points per game, and that's right around 10.3 points per game, and Chris Mannon. Mannon is a guy that's able to give you right around three and a half boards, shoots about 32% from three-point range. Cornell's on a team that's necessarily going to go bombs away from three-point range, 34.5% from three, relatively solid. The guy that has really been able to knock him down from the outside, Keller Boothby, he's shooting right in the pocket about 49.5% from three-point range, but is a guy that has scored in single digits in four out of the last five games, but it certainly is a team in which you've got just a whole bunch of pieces working together. Kobe Dixon is sort of that glue guy for the team, five and a half points, four and a half boards, three assists for the six foot nine combo player guy that has necessarily been able to shoot it well from three-point range, but does a good job of being able to make small plays for the team. With that said, comes in having turned the ball over eight times in the last two contests. So, I mean, it is a Cornell team. I think that they have their warts. Princeton is a team that they only shoot right around 67% on the free line, but I think that this is going to be very much a rambunctious and up-tempo game. So, by total of 155, I'm looking at the over. And with Princeton, made them a seven-point favorite, so going to be one late here. We've got our DK Nation pick of 603-604. And by the way, went with this with the DK Nation pick because, well, we knew three matchups going into the day on Saturday. The rest were all to be determined, so we wound up picking from one of those, and we wound up picking Yale and 
pen in this one as both of these games, by the way, going to be in Cambridge, Massachusetts on Harvard's home floor as Yales find themselves between a 2.5 and, and a 3.5 point favorite. And your total on this game is 146.5. Semi-total at a 152.5. You've got a pen team that has been playing no defense whatsoever this year. They rank outside the top 300 with regards points allowed on a per-possession basis, but they themselves have been able to notch 74 plus points in pretty much four out of their last five contests. It's a Yale team that they themselves have really been able to get things rolling because they've got Azir Swain. They will give you 19 points per contest. Shoots right around 33.5% from three. It's a Yale team that they only shoot right around 32.5% from distance. And both of these teams very vulnerable on the interior. Both of these teams rank outside the top 240 in all of college basketball and an opponent's two-point shooting percentage. You really don't get a lot of rebounding with either of these teams. Right now, you've got one guy that's able to give you more than four and a half boards for the CL team. That would be EJ Jarvis. You have been able to get a little bit of help for Swain as well. And Jalen Gibbedean, he has been able to do a solid job giving this team right around 32.5% three-point shooting, 12 points per contest. And then I do take a look at this Penn team, and Jordan Dingle is going to be the best scorer out there. 30-plus points in three of the team's last four contests. is 20.6 points per contest. That ranks in the top 15 in all of college basketball. Is a guy that is a little bit of a from three-point range at 33%, and it's a Penn team that they themselves have a little bit of something to be desired down low. You've only got one guy that gives you at least five rebounds per game. That would be Max Martz. Martz is able to give you 10 points, five boards, shoots 35.5% from three. Penn is whole. They shoot 73% on the free line, 33 percent from three. They really don't force turnovers. Yale is a team that they don't necessarily do a lot of pickpocketing either. I think that you're going to get a lot of clean, a lot of good possessions for and over. I think that Yale just has a little bit more around their top score in Azir Swain for them to be able to get the job done. So it is a spot in which I did wind up seeing Yale as a four and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay it here. But the DK Nation pick, I'm looking at the over. Set my total at 152 and a half. So DK Nation pick is the over and I'm willing to lay it here with Yale as well. Six of five, six of six on the betting board. Eight, ten semifinals. Washington in D.C. You've got Davidson taking on St. Louis. St. Louis has found themselves and we're between a 2.5 and a 3.5 point underdog with your draw on this game. Between 138.5 and 139.5, I set my line at 3. At 2.5, I'd be willing to lay it. At 3, it would be my absolute max, but I would be willing to lay 3. We're seeing this number move around quite a bit because the opener was 1.5. At 1.5, I was in on this, but if this continues to move north of 3, then I'd be starting to take a look at St. Louis because this is a Bogan scene that you do have Gibson Jimerson, a guy that's able to give you 16 points per contest, shooting nearly 40% from 3. Now, Foster Lawyer is back to the fold for Davidson, but looked rather pedestrian against Fordham. Now, it was not necessarily a rambunctiously high-scoring game, but only wound up having 8 points in that contest, had 20-plus points in each of the previous 4 games before going down with injury. Now Davidson is going to have Luka Badovic down low. Most versatile big man in this game. 14.5 points, 7.5 boards. Six foot ten gentleman that comes in from Austria is shooting over 40% from three-point range. And then on the flip side, Yuri Collins is going to need to do a good job of being able to hold on to the ball. He's been a guy that's gotten loose with it right around four turnovers per contest. But 11 points, nearly eight assists, shoots 37% from three-point range. So you do like what you're seeing there. Wound up having nine assists in the win yesterday. And for St. Louis, I do think that Francis Okoro is going to be able to hold up at the point of attack. 11 points, 8 boards per contest. You've also been able to have someone like a Fred Thatch Jr. be able to come through, shooting 38.5% for 3, 9.5 points per contest. Sharon's Hargrove Jr. has been able to give you 7 points. He's another guy that shoots it well from 3. And road in neutral court environments has been shooting 42% from 3-point range. I think that St. Louis is a little bit of a deeper team that should be able to keep them live. I do think that Davidson is going to be able to get the job done in this spot. And I want to say a relatively low total. Now, Davidson is a team that 
that they rank in the top 25 with regards to points scored on a per possession basis, but this is also a Davidson team that they've been really looking to slow things down, 328th in the country with regards to possessions per game. Meanwhile, you've got a St. Louis team that they've been a little bit up and down with their defense, but they now rank within the top 70 with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis. Semi total 133, I'm under, and with Davidson, made them a three point favorite. So at three or less, willing to lay it. Once you wind up getting north of three, that is going to be my buy point on the Billikens. Staying in the A10 tournament, 607, 608 on the betting board. You've got yourself Dayton and Richmond doing battle. No numbers currently up on this game as we just wound up seeing Richmond be able to survive and advance, be able to reach this game. And I've got Richmond as a one and a half point favorite. When it comes to Dayton, this is a team that they've been dominant on defense. Top 30 team with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis. But this is a Richmond team that I think that they're going to be able to find a way on offense because this is a bunch of which you've got a pair of guys that have like in Grant Golden along Tyler Burton that combined to be able to give you 31 points per contest. And now on top of that, you've got Jacob Gilliard coming off of a big game. 30 plus points yesterday against VCU, the all-time leader leader at the Division One level in terms of total steals has been averaging three steals, five and a half assists, and 1.6 turnovers per contest. And it's a Richmond team that they do a good job of being able to take care of the ball. Right around 10 turnovers per game. That is in the top 15 in all of college basketball. They're facing off with a Dayton team that they've been doing a much better job of being able to take care of the ball recently, but still, a team that's going to get loose with it. Dayton is a bunch that they turn the ball over right around 12 and a half times per contest. Malachi Smith is a guy that I like out there in the backcourt. Nine points, right around five and a half assists. He shoots 39 percent for three, and Kobe Elvis has been able to enter the building. He, along with Kobe Brea, have been able to combine for about 39, 40% three-point shooting, right around 16.5 points per contest out of these two gentlemen, but you do take a look at just the overall makeup of Dayton. They do have a little bit more depth with Mustafa Amzil, RJ Blakeney being able to give you 12.5 points per contest last time these two teams wound up playing. Blakeney wound up having a go-ahead dunk, and you do have to like what you're able to get out of Dayron Holmes coupled with Tumani Kamara. They combined to be able to give this Dayton team right around 21.5 points. Both of these guys do a solid job of being able to give you some boards. They combined right around 12.5-ish per contest. And with Holmes, he does give you 2.3 blocks per contest, but I do think that Richmond going to do a better job of being able to take care of the ball and with this Richmond team as well. What I think is going to be very key is being able to get an AKO going, a guy that's able to give you right around nine points per contest. He's been a little bit up and down, but was able to score double figures yesterday, and it's a Richmond team that in general I think is going to be able to get it done with having a little bit of better free throw shooting. As Dayton is a team that they shoot right around 69, 70% the free throw, and Richmond more around 71.5, 72% at the charity stripe. So, do you want to saying Richmond as a 1.5 point favorite? Did my make by a total of 128.5? Richmond outside the top two arm with regards to possessions, game and Dayton more around 330th with regards to possessions per game. 609, 610 on the betting board. You've got yourself Texas A&M playing against Arkansas. Arkansas finds themselves between a 6 and 6.5 point favor with your total on this game between 138.5 and 139. And this is a spot in which I did wind up saying Arkansas a little bit north of this. I'm going to be willing to lay it as I'm willing to lay up to 8 here with the Razorbacks. I do think that they're going to be able to get the job done against the Texas A&M team that was able to knock them off a little bit earlier in the season, but you take a look at Arkansas, things have changed ever since that January game, and this is a team that they rank in the top 30 with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. So, to the credit of Texas A&M, this is a team that they do a tremendous job of being able to turn you over. They get right around 10 seals per contest, and the offense has been able to do a relatively solid job here in the SEC tournament. They wound up going 8 of 16 from three-point range yesterday against Auburn. They had a good shooting performance against Florida, but you take a look at them overall for the season going into yesterday, shooting 33% from distance. I do have my question marks there. It's a team that they only shoot right around 69% on the free line. You don't necessarily have great size with this team. Henry Coleman, Tyrese Radford, they combined to be able to give you about 21.5 points, 12 rebounds per game, but I don't know if this team is going to be able to hold up against Jalen Williams. Williams is a guy that has all sorts of versatility for this Arkansas 
team, 11 points, 9.5 boards, 2.5 assists. Guy that doesn't necessarily shoot it well from 3, but does give you that added dimension. A guy that has been able to give you a double-digit amount of rebounds in now 6 of the team's last 7 games. And then you've got the just guy that's been able to take over all season long and J.D. Dote has been a modicum of consistency, being able to give this team double figures in every one of the team's games this year. Not necessarily a great three-point shooter. Arkansas, they're not a team that's going to go bombs away from three-point range. It's a bunch of, they shoot right around 31% from three. Dote's in that neighborhood, but you've got Odie's Tony who's able to chip in there right around 10.5 points, 5.5 rebounds per game, and the guy that's really been able to be a headliner for the team recently, Stanley Amudi, a guy that wound up having just seven points yesterday, but had double figures in each of the four games previous in row in neutral court environments, a guy that has been able to shoot over 40% from three-point range. I think that he's going to be able to do a solid job for an Arkansas team that they themselves generate right around seven and a half steals per game with Dote being able to give you 2.2 per contest. I think that Texas A&M, a team that turns the ball over 13 times per contest, can have a little bit of a tough time with this. So you do have an Arkansas team that they look to push the tempo. They rank in the top 40 with regards to possessions per game. Texas A&M, more of a mid-tempo team, but I do think that things are going to be a little bit slowed down. I think that A&M is not going to be able to get those shots to fall. So I did wind up saying Arkansas is an eight-point favorite. I'm willing to lay it here with them. So my total 136, so diving under as well. We move on to 611, 612 on the betting board. You've got yourself Tennessee and Kentucky doing battle. Doing this just after Kentucky was able to get the job done against Vanderbilt. So we've got no numbers up on this game. I've got my line, though. Set Kentucky as a four-point favorite. Made my total 134. Both times that these two teams wound up playing, you actually had some higher scoring affairs. The second time wasn't under because that total was 140. Wound up landing 139. Tennessee got the job done 76. To 63. First time around, that was just completely hairbrained. 107 to 79. I will go out here on a limb and say that Kentucky's not getting to 100 here unless you wind up getting a UAB sort of situation where you have three overtimes. But with Tennessee, I do have my question marks when it comes to this team on the road. They score. 15 points fewer per 100 possessions basis when they are on the road or in a neutral court environment. Kentucky, their game travels a little bit more. This is a Kentucky team that they rank in the top 20 with regards to points scored on a per possession basis. Tennessee, rock solid on defense. This is a team that they rank in the top 10 with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis. But with this Tennessee team, the only guy that gives you more than five rebounds per game is Josiah Jordan James. We've been noticing that you haven't been able to get a ton out of John Fulkerson, guy that's only been able to give you right around four and a half to five rebounds per contest. Seeing him be able to get six boards off the bench yesterday was very good. You have been able to get some good performance out of Zakai Ziegler, guy that's been able to give you nine points per contest, but also with this Tennessee team, you did wind up seeing Kennedy Chandler have to tough it through a little bit of an injury. That is going to be a tad bit of a concern. Wound up playing 27 minutes, still gave the team 11 points and six assists yesterday, but you do have to keep that in the back of your mind because he and Santiago Vescovi both give you about 13.5 points per game apiece. They combine for just under eight assists, three and a half seals per game. They are the lifeblood of this backcourt. Josiah Jordan James, who I mentioned earlier, good Swiss Army United guy, nine and a half points per contest, but I think the Tennessee is just going to get bludgeoned down low by Oscar Sheboy. I mean, Sheboy going into yesterday, 14 plus rebounds at each other team's last 11 contests overall for this season. Has been able to give you right around two blocks. He's able to give you nearly two steals per game, 15 rebounds, 19 points per contest. Guy is just a constant worker for this team. Xavier Wheeler in the top five in all of college basketball in terms of assists per game as well with seven. You do have a Tennessee team that they do a good job of pickpocketing top 10 in the country with regards to turnovers forced on a per possession basis, but it's a Kentucky team that all season long has valued the ball right around 11 half turnovers per game. They don't 
don't play fast. They don't play slow. Same goes for Tennessee. You've got two middle-ish tempo teams here. Last time these two teams wound up playing, you wound up having Kentucky get forced into 14 turnovers in that game, but also that was with Ty Ty Washington only playing 13 minutes. When he's fully healthy, he's able to give you right around 14 points per contest. I think that things are going to be a little bit more buttoned up in this spot. I think that Kentucky wins the battle on the glass. I think that you're going to get a relatively low-scoring game between a pair of defenses that have been pretty solid this year. So, semi-total at 134 and make Kentucky a four-point favorite. We head out to the Big Ten Tournament. 6-13, 6-14 on the banging board. You've got Indiana and Iowa doing battle. The Hawkeyes are finding themselves a favorite here of 6 to 6.5 points. Open up at 5.5. We're seeing those go away in your total on this game. And between 143.5 and 144.5. Talked about this with our good friend Jim Root, and I do think that it is a case in which Iowa does a good job of being able to get their tempo. So I'm willing to take this total over. I set it at a 148. At 5.5, I would have been willing to lay with Iowa. I wound up setting this line at 6. Once you wind up getting to 6, that is my buy point on Indiana. I set it at a 6. At 6, I would rather take the points rather than lay the points because you do have an Indiana team that has been solid on defense all season long. They rank in the top 35 with the guards' points a lot on a per possession basis. I do think that Trace Jackson Davis is going to be able to do a solid job on Keegan Murray. Murray has been absolutely tremendous. 23 points, 8 boards. He's able to give you a steal and a half, 2 blocks per game, a top 5 player in all of college basketball, but Trace Jackson Davis, I mean, he's a top 15 player in all of college basketball in my opinion as well. Guy that's able to give you 17 points, 8 boards, 2 and a half blocks per game. Race Thompson is really the forgotten man. Had 10 points, 9 rebounds in that win over Illinois. I know that a lot of people like to dog Xavier Johnson, but he's been good out there in the backcourt. In the game yesterday against Illinois, he had 6 assists, 1 turnover. He's really been the only guy in the backcourt that's been able to give you consistent scoring, giving you right around 12 points per contest, has been able to chip in there at least 13 points at each of the last six contests, shooting just below 40% from three, 77% of the free line, and that's big because Parker Stewart has been pedestrian for this team. He's only giving you right around six and a half points per contest. You don't know what you're going to be able to get night in and night out out of someone like a Miller Cop who's only able to give you three points per contest, and you've got much more out of this Iowa team because with Iowa, you're able to feel good about Jordan Byhan and a guy that for the year has been able to shoot in the high 30s from three-point range. Joe Tucson has been able to do nice job of being able to dole out the ball as well. Only gives you right around four and a half, five points per contest, but three and a half assists and headlines a Iowa team that with regards to turnovers on a per possession basis, they rank in the top three in all of college basketball. It is an Iowa team though that they rank outside the top 100 with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis. The last time these two teams wound up playing, you did wind up seeing a little bit more of a harebrain game that was out there in January. Iowa got the job done by kind of 83-74. to 74. That was a game which Indiana was right there in the first half. They were actually up by seven in the first half. They wound up having a little bit of a melt job late. It was a game which Iowa was just able to do a solid job of being able to turn over Indiana. They had 23 turnovers. Iowa actually does a good job of being able to generate seals, but I feel like Xavier Johnson has been able to pick things up a little bit more at six or more. Won't take the points here with Indiana. Seven my total at 148 as well. So looking over 615, 616 on the bank board. We've got Michigan State and Purdue doing battle out there in Indiana as you've right now got no numbers up on this game. Purdue wanted surviving advancing against Penn State to be able to get to this spot, but it's a case in which I did wind up saying my line at six. About a week or so ago, I would have set this line more around six half slash seven, but I just feel like you can never underestimate this Michigan State team in March. They were able to get by Wisconsin yesterday while shooting just one of 11 from three-point range, and that's really the lifeblood of this Michigan State team. They're in the top 30 in terms of three-point shooting percent. They've got a pair of guys, Malik Hall, Ty Walker, that entered into yesterday in the top 25 in all of college basketball among qualifying three-point shooters with Walker giving you eight points, 4.3 assists on 51.5% three-point shooting. The big thing for Michigan State is that they turn the ball over right around 13.5 times for contest. They're going up against a Purdue team that, with regards to turnovers for us on a per-possession basis, 
basis. They're in the bottom 40 in all of college basketball. Now, it is a Purdue team that they should be able to win the battle down low. Got a pair of guys in Travion Williams along Zach Eady that combined for right around 15 boards per game. Jaden Ivey, we all know about this gentleman. He's able to give you 17 points, four and a half boards. A guy that's able to go bombs away from three, being able to bury right around 40% of his threes in a road and neutral court environment. And for Purdue, this is a team that has a hole. They're shooting right around 39.5% from three-point range going into yesterday, and they only turned the ball over 11.5 times for contest. Number one team with regards to offensive efficiency throughout much of the campaign. Sasha Stefanovic, he's able to give you 11.5 points. She's 40% for three. Last time these two teams wound up playing, Purdue, I believe, only wound up canning one three in that game. I think that things are going to be a little bit more warm for them in that standpoint. Purdue actually shot over 50% from the floor, but they were forced into 17 turnovers. This is a Michigan State team that they really don't force that many turnovers. Purdue won the rebound battle 34-24. I think that they'll be able to do that and win once again, but I do think that Marcus Bingham Jr. getting out of the doghouse of Tom Izzo a little bit more is very beneficial. 19-11 against Wisconsin. This guy could be a difference maker with right around two blocks per contest. I think that he's going to be able to hold up at the point of attack. So this is a spot in which I did wind up saying my total at a 138. You've got a pair of mid-tempo teams here, and I did wind up saying Purdue as a six-point favorite. As we go to 617-618 on the main board, Tulane is going to be taking on Houston. Houston is finding themselves a 13 to a 13 and a half point favor with your total on this game in between 133 and 134. For those of you guys that want to tail in the DK Nation pick yesterday, you know how fortunate Houston was to be able to get a cover yesterday, and I don't think that that lightning is going to strike twice. I do think that Houston should be a sizable favorite here. I could only make this number 11. Now, with this two-lane team, you have been dealing with a little bit of an ailment for the CMS. You've got two Jalen's, Jalen Cook, Jalen Forbes. Cook has been out of the fold, so it's been all up to Jalen Forbes recently. Guy that's able to give you 16 and a half points, five boards, has been rock solid from three-point range, shooting about 39% from three-point range, but the guys around him have really been able to step up, and more specifically, Sion James has been nothing short of superb for this team. He has been able to really be able to dole out the ball for this team. He has had at least three assists in every one of the team's games ever since they wound up last playing against Houston. That was on the 2nd of February, so he's been a really good concept for this bunch. Not a guy that's going to go out there and score a bunch of points. He only averages right around eight points per contest, but a guy that makes winning plays, a guy that's able to give you right around four and a half boards per game as well, so a guy that's not afraid to hit the glass. I do like what you're able to get out of Devin Baker as well. Another guy that only gives you right around five and a half to six points per contest, but has now been able to get the team double figures in six out of the team's last seven games. A guy that has been able to give you right around a steal per contest whenever he's been able to get regular minutes as well. So I think that he's going to have his imprints on this game. You take a look at Houston and it's a team that they lead all of college basketball with regards to their second chance amount of opportunities as they grab an offensive rebound on right around 37.5% of their misses. That's number one in all of college basketball, but it's also a Houston team that they fell a lot. They rank at the top 15 in all of college basketball with regards to fouls committed on a per possession basis. And this is a two-lane team that they shoot right around 37% from three, 76.5% the free line in Houston. They're a bottom 50 team when it comes the free throw shooting percentage entered into yesterday 66.3 percent they do shoot 34 percent from three kyler edwards is a guy that i like 13 and a half points six boards per game and then fabian washington josh carlton a combined 25 points 12 and a half boards you've got white shooting right around 39 percent from three point range but Tazay Moore can be a little bit immersed for this team. Does give you two and a half assists per game. And I will say, their point guard, Jamal Sheed, does a good job of being able to flow the ball and is very efficient. A guy that only commits right around two turnovers per contest. Guy that's been able to give you nine and a half points per game. So he's rock solid there. Houston 18 that ranks in the top 25 in all of college basketball in both offensive and defensive efficiency. I do, though, think that Tulane is going to be able to bust through, get some points up on the board. It's a Tulane team that they do a nice job of being able to find their way to the free throw line. So I want to make it my total 135. I'm looking at and over. And with Houston, made them an 11-point favorite, so I'm going to be taking a look at the points. We move on to 618-620 on the betting board. It is SMU, and they're going to be taking on Memphis. No numbers currently up on this game as 
Memphis wound up just surviving the advancing. You've got to feel like there's going to be a little bit of revenge on the mind on Memphis after they wound up getting just completely bludgeoned in the second half of their game against SMU. And you take a look at both of these teams, and you've got a pair of teams that they do a solid job both on offense and defense. I did wind up making Memphis here a four-and-a-half point favorite, and I do think that you're going to get a little bit of a higher scoring game in this one. I wound up setting my total at a 144-and-a-half because you do have a Memphis team that they rank in the top 50 with regards to possessions brain. It's an SMU team that it's not like they're playing at a breakneck pace or anything like that, but you take a look at them. Just in terms of possessions per game, they rank right around 110, so this is a team that they're looking to push the ball. I think that SMU is going to be able to hold in there because they've got the best guard out there on the floor. That'd be Kendrick Davis. 19.5 points, 4 boards, 4.5 assists, steal and half per contest, shoot 37.5% from 3, SMU as a whole. They shoot 36.5% from 3, 74.5% at the free throw line. It just feels like they do match up with Memphis well. Now, Memphis has really been able to turn over a new leaf ever since. They've gotten back their guys in DeAndre Williams, coupled with Landers Nolly. Nolly is a guy that really does a good job of being able to dole out the ball. 10 points, 3 assists. She's right around 37% from 3-point range. Williams, guy that shoots 34.5% from distance. 5.5 boards. He's at 6 foot nine, And he's able to shoot those threes. And Jalen Durant going to be by far the best low post presence in this game. 12 points, 7.5 boards. A little bit over 2.5 blocks per game. But you take a look at the last time these two teams wound up playing. It was right around 2-3 to three weeks ago. And it was SMU who did a very solid job going 8-21 of 21 from 3-point range. And the main issue that you have with this Memphis team, they rank in the top 10 and all of college basketball in terms of turnovers on a per-possession basis. SMU forced them into 18 of them. Now, SMU, they wound up having 16 of them themselves, but you've got to love the versatility of the Weathers brothers. Michael and Marcus Weathers wound up having a combined 26 points and 17 rebounds in that contest and overall for the year. These two guys that stand right around 6'6", six 6'7", foot six, six foot they combined to shoot about 39.5% from three-point range and combined for 23 points, 13 rebounds, and then Emmanuel Bandemel is able to shoot 38% from three, gives you 11 points per contest. It's an SMU team that has been much better on defense this season. I do feel like you're going to get a very up-tempo game in this one. So, semi-total at 144.5. You've got a pair of teams that are in the top 75 with regards to defensive efficiency as well, or else I would have my total a little bit higher. And with Memphis, did wind up making them a 4.5-point favorite. Game 621-622 on the betting board. You've got yourself the Metro Atlantic Final between Monmouth and St. Peter's. No numbers up on this game as... St. Peter's was able to survive an advance against Quinnipiac in order to get to this spot, but I didn't want to say Monmouth as a two-point favorite. I do think that they're going to be out for revenge because the last time these two teams wound up playing, you take a look at it, and the game was about a month or so ago. St. Peter's got the job done on the road by kind of 70-65 to 65 in that game. You wind up having Monmouth go 9-19 of for three-point range, but both of these teams were bad at the free throw line. Monmouth 14-23 of 23 at the free throw line. St. Peter's 13-23 at the free throw line, but I do think that you've got a clear edge with Monmouth at the charity strike because St. Peter's going to yesterday, shooting right around 68.2% at the free throw line. Meanwhile, got a Monmouth team that they're shooting more around 75% at the free throw line. Now, St. Peter's does a relatively solid job down low. You've got Casey Undefu, who's been able to give you 2.7 blocks per contest, but you take a look at it, and going into yesterday, this was a guy that was really being able to pick up some steam, guy that's been able to give you multiple blocks in four straight games, and take a look at the way that he's been able to score as well. This is a man that has been able to give you double figures going to yesterday in seven out of the last eight contests. You've got Daryl Banks III along Doug Eggert, who combined to be able to give you about 21 points per contest. Banks is able to shoot 85% free throw line, 36% for three. Eggert, 42% for three. But St. Peter's, they don't necessarily do a great job of getting their guards to the free throw line. They either go inside or they wind up just taking a bunch of threes. Meanwhile, you've got a mama team that they're a little bit more versatile and a little bit more shifty. When you've got a pair of guys like Shafar Reynolds, a couple of George Pappas in the backcourt, 
It makes it very easy on you. And then you take a look at Nikhil Ruti. He's been able to do an absolutely tremendous job for the team down low. He's able to give you right around 7.5 rebounds per contest. He's a guy that was a little bit banged up, has been able to come back here for this tournament. Wound up not necessarily having the world's biggest performance yesterday with just four rebounds, but I think that he's going to be firing all cylinders in this game. And it's not like Monmouth really relies upon their offense. He only gives you right around three points per contest. The guy down low that they really look to, that'd be their versatile six foot ten gentleman at Walker Miller. He's been able to give you 14 and a half points, six boards. Guy that only shoots right around 31-32% from three-point range, but has been able to do a solid job being able to give the team some good versatility. And a guy that generates right around a seal per contest as well. Good active hands with him. I do think that it's a Monmouth team that it's going to be a hold up at the point of attack. You've got a St. Peter's team that they rank in the top 30 with regards points allowed on a per possession basis, but they're also a team that they turn the ball over 14 times per contest, so it's a good old situation if something's got to give with this game. Being out there in Atlantic City, I actually do think that it gives Monmouth a little bit of extra boost here, so I did wind up saying this line at two. I'm willing to take Monmouth here and willing to lay up to two with them. And I also did wind up saying my total at a 130 as well. As we move on to the Big 12 final out there in Missouri, we go 623-624 on the bank board. It is Kansas, and they're going to be taking on Texas Tech. Currently, no numbers up on this game, but I do think that Kansas really starting to round into form. I do think that you have to award them at minimum about a point for home court advantage in this game as well, because this is going to be at the T-Mobile Center right outside of Lawrence, so I think that that's going to be very impactful. And with this line, I did wind up making Kansas a five-point favorite. This is a Kansas team that has been able to do a very solid job with Remy Martin out there on the court, and he was able to look very solid in the game against TCU yesterday. Wound up having 10 points on 19 minutes. A guy that had really been banged up, wasn't providing much up until that TCU game. As a matter of fact, he gave the team a combined eight points in the last four contests. Him being back and him being healthy, I think really makes this Kansas team significantly better. And then you take a look at Jalen Wilson and Devin McCormick. Now, these two guys only wound up having a combined four rebounds yesterday. I think that they're going to be much better in this game. And these two guys have been able to combine for about 13 and a half rebounds and 25 and a half points per contest overall for the season at O'Shea Obaji. 20-point per game score. That is able to shoot 49% from three-point range. You take a look at Texas Tech. They've been rock solid on defense all season long. But when it comes to it in the road, this is a team that they do have their shall we say, warts when it comes to the offense. You've been able to have Bryson Williams, a 6'8 combo player, really be able to take things over for this team. A guy that's able to shoot from three-point range over 43%. is able to give you 14 points per contest. And then you've got a Swiss Army Knife guy that I really like. Kevin McCullough, 10 points, right around three assists, five boards. Just makes winning plays for this team. Kansas has been a team that has really been relying upon offensive efficiency all season long. But you take a look at this Kansas defense. They've allowed more than 68 points just once now in their last five contest here in the month of March. Meanwhile, you take a look at what you've been able to get out of Texas Tech. They've just been doing a great job of being almost warm with their defense all season long. So this is a spot in which I'm willing to set my total year at a 134. And like I said, with Kansas, want to set them as more of a five-point favorite. We go 625-626 on the betting board. This is one of those games which I'm going to be breaking down a little bit more on the Greg Peterson experience because it's just impossible to have this podcast up by midnight and be able to give you anything on this game. We've got the Mountain West Tournament as of right now, it is completely to be determined as to who's going to be in this contest. So, unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to give you too much here. But with that said, I do think that it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in the San Diego State versus Colorado State game. I am 
currently doing this as Boise State is in the lead. If it winds up being Boise State versus San Diego State, I think that you're going to be looking at a sub-120 total with the way that these two teams wind up playing in. Really, all four of these teams, they don't necessarily have much tempo. I mean, every one of these four teams, Colorado State, San Diego State, Boise State, Wyoming, they all rank outside the top 240 with regards to possessions per game. You're going to probably see a little bit more rambunctious offense if it is, say, Wyoming versus Colorado State. That is a game in which you're going to be seeing a little bit more come to the forefront because you do have with Wyoming the guys in Graham, EK and company, they're able to do a solid job. EK is able to give you 19 points, right around 9 rebounds per game. Meanwhile, you take a look at Boise State, and it's a team that has been able to do a little bit of a better job with regards to three-point shooting percentage. I think that Boise State or Wyoming probably going to be a little bit of an underdog regardless of who winds up coming out of this San Diego State versus Colorado State game personally because when it comes to Boise State, big thing with them, they only shoot right around 65% at the free throw line, and it's a Wyoming team that you take a look at them home to row with regards to their offensive efficiency, 16 points per 100 possessions basis, fewer when they are on the road rather than at home. Boise State, a team that has really been able to travel with their defense top 20 with that regard, but San Diego State, they're just a little bit more lethal in general. Like I said, I wish I could give you more on this game. Greg Peters and experience is going to be able to have you guys covered on that, but as of right now, we are a little bit out in the dark on that, so I do apologize there. As we do wind up going 627, 628 on the betting board, you've got Creighton, and they're going to be taking on Villanova. Currently, no numbers up on this game as Villanova. They were able to survive in advance to be able to get into this spot, and I think that the handicap with this Creighton team is very fascinating because you've got a Blue Jays bunch that all of a sudden they've been able to catch lightning out of a bottle because they wound up having Ryan Nemart, their starting point guard, wind up going down for an injury. He is out for the rest of the season, and last time these two teams wound up playing, that was with with Nemard in the fold, you have to go back to January. It was a case in which Villanova wound up housing Creighton by kind of 75 to 41. And this is a Creighton team that, even with Ryan Nemard in the fold, they rank outside the top 300 with regards to turnovers on a per possession basis. They do get very sloppy with the ball. This is a spot in which I do think that Villanova is going to want to come out. They're going to want to try to make a statement to try to get as good of a seat as humanly possible. This is a spot in which I'm setting Villanova as an eight point favorite. And I am making this total a 128 because, with regards to this Villanova team, you've got Colin Gillespie, does a great job. 16 points, able to shoot 43% for three. Keep in mind, out there at MSG, typically you do wind up having a little bit more shaky three-point shooting in a lot of these games. I've just noticed that throughout time. So I do think that that is something that you do want to be taking a look at. But with that said, when it comes to what you're going to be able to get out of this Villanova team, you've also been able to get a little bit more out of Jermaine Samuels along with Eric Dixon. Both of these guys have been able to do a solid job of being able to haul in there right around 12 bars per game. And Dixon is a guy that from three-point range, he's been able to be very rock solid for this team, shooting right around 45-46% from three-point range. Villanova also number one team in all of college basketball with free throw shooting percentage, 82.6%. There are 10.2 turnovers per contest. That ranks in the top 10 in all of college basketball, more like top 20 actually, but you do take a look at Justin Moore as well. He's able to give you more 15 points, five boards per contest. Villanova has been looking to go a little bit deeper with their rotation and they've been able to have some of these ancillary pieces be able to come through. Meanwhile, for Crane, the big key for them, being able to take things over down low with the Ryans. Ryan Kalkbrenner along with Ryan Hawkins. Both of these guys give you a combined about 15 rebounds per contest. Hawkins has more versatility. 14 and a half points, nearly 38% three-point shooter. Kalkbrenner, two and a half blocks per contest, really doesn't shoot a lot of threes, but Alex O'Connell has been able to come through big time ever since the Ryan Emmer injury. Guy that's able to give you right around 11 and a half points per contest. Shoots right around 33% from three-point range. Has been up and down with his scoring, but wound up making some big-time winning plays in that game against Marquette and has really been able to do a good job of hitting the glass as well. At least four boards in now five out of the team's last six contests. A guy that shoots 79% in the free line, which is big because it's a Creighton team that they only shoot right around 31 and a half percent from three points. You've went off against Providence, but I don't think that that's necessarily going to last. They don't force a lot of seals with right around five and a half per contest. I think that Villanova should be able to have that.
had their way. Villanova first time around. You have to go back to December. They wound up taking a big loss to Creighton by a count of 79 to 59. I would argue that that really awoken Villanova as they went 4 of 23 from three-point range in that game. Ever since then, the offense has been better. Setting my total of 128, you've got a Villanova team that ranks outside of the top 320 with regards to possessions per game, and I think that they're going to do a good job of being a bottle of Creighton. 629, 630 on the bang board. We've got the Mech final as you've got Kent State, and they're going to be taking on Akron. Currently, no numbers up on this game as I do this podcast, but with that said, I've got a line. I wound up setting Kent State as a three and a half point favorite, and I want to make my total 127 and a half. When it comes to Kent State, this is a team that's on a burner run. They wound up entering into the day with a 13 game win streak, and Sincere Carey, I sincerely think, is going to be the best player out there on the floor. Guy that's able to give you 15 and a half points, four and a half boards, four and a half assists, shoots 37 and a half percent from three point range for a Kent State team that they really had their warts towards the beginning of the season, but now has really been able to fire on all cylinders. Meanwhile, you take a look at the flip side in this Akron team, they do a good job of being able to control the tempo in games. They're in the bottom 35 with regards to total possessions per game. They've really got two guys that do a good job out there in the front court. Ali, Ali, and Enrique Freeman. They do completely different things. Freeman, 13 points, 11 boards. Not a guy that's going to step out and shoot threes. Gives you 1.3 blocks per contest, but the only guy in the roster that gives you more than 3.6 rebounds per game. And then Ali, Ali, 14 points per game. Saints right around 6'8". She's 40% for threes. Xavier Casaneda has done a good job out there in the backcourt. 13 points, 2.5 assists per contest. And then Brian Trimble Jr. goes a little bit under the radar, right around 10.5 points per game. Wound up having a very nice game against Toledo yesterday, 18 points, and it's a guy that has been a little bit up and down, though. Take a look at the last five games. He wound up having the 18 yesterday, but prior to that, 6, 9, 11, and 2 points, so very much a herky-jerky guy there. And then when it comes to this Kent State team, they're a little bit more consistent because you've been able to have Justin Hamilton give you a little bit over a block per contest. He's been able to do a nice job being able to supply the team right around 8.5 points, 7 rebounds per game, and I love the way that the Sony Brook transfer slash Georgia transfer Andrew Garcia has been able to implement himself in the offense. A guy that has been able to give you 8.5 points per contest, shooting in a road and neutral court environment over 40% from three-point range, generates a seal per contest. You've got Malik Jacobs who's able to give you 12.5 points, 7.5 boards. Not a guy that's necessarily going to go bombs away from three-point range. Can't say it as a collective. They shoot about 33% for three, but they shoot 75% in the free line. Akron is a team that they shoot sub 70% in the free line. I think that that could really be a big-time marker in this game. You take a look at the last time these two teams wound up playing. You have to go back to the middle of February and that was a very controversial game. Kent State let the fan base of Akron know that they were able to go into their house and get the win 66-64. I think that there's going to be a nice little brouhaha. Both of these teams very close to Cleveland, Ohio where they're playing this game. So I did wind up saying my total 127F. I think that it's going to be a little bit of a slower game but I think that Kent State gets the job done once again. Set them as a 3.5 point favorite. 631-632 on the bang board. This is going to be another one that I need to speculate a little bit more on. We know that Montana State is going to be making in the Big Sky Final, but their opponent is going to be a little bit to be determined, so that makes this one a tad bit more tricky, but with that said, if they do wind facing off against Northern Colorado, I'd be setting them as a slight favorite against Portland State. This would probably be a little bit more of a demonstrative line. Now, it is a Portland State team that has been able to emerge recently. They're only shooting about 31% from three-point range overall for the season, but it is a team that has been able to shoot more in the mid to high 30s from three-point range ever since. I would say the middle part of the season, last time Portland State and Montana State wound up doing battle. You wound up having Portland State as a nine-point underdog on the road. They were able to hang in there 77 to 74. If it does wind up being Portland State, I'd be probably setting my line a little bit closer to five, depending on what we wind up seeing there. Northern Colorado, meanwhile, they wound up playing 
playing against Montana State on the road a few nights ago. That was a case in which Montana State was a four-point home favorite. 87 to 85 was the final on that one. I'd probably be setting this one closer to Montana State being about a three-ish point favorite once again. This is subject to a little bit of change with Northern Colorado. You got a guy in down counts is able to give you 26 points per contest. Northern Colorado, they go balance away from three-point range as they're able to shoot as a collective about 38% from three-point range. But then you take a look at Portland State. They're a team that they generate nine seals per contest. And with Northern Colorado, they're just not the same defense that Portland State is. It's not saying that Portland State is a team that is like the 85 Bears or anything like that as they're right around 200th in the country with regards points a lot on a per-possession basis. But take a look at this Northern Colorado team. 332nd going to yesterday, though, I will say. On the road in neutral court environment, they should give up fewer points than they do at home. But you do take a look at this Montana State team, and regardless of the matchup, I do think that they should be able to dance in the NCAA tournament. They're a team that they are one of the better defensive teams out there in the big sky, right around 110th with regards points a lot on a per-possession basis. And regardless of the matchup, they're going to have a good advantage down low, as you've got Abdul Muhammad combined with Jabari Bello being able to give you 13 boards per game. Muhammad shoots 44% from three-point range. Bell is able to give you 13.5 points per game. Xavier Bishop does a good job at the point guard spot with being able to dish out right around four assists per contest. And then you take a look at what you've been able to get out of the ancillary guard in Amin Adamu. 11.5 points per contest. Guy that shoots right around 39% from three-point range. Montana State as a collective. They do shoot 36.5% from three-point range. They've been able to travel well. They turn the ball for 12.5 times per contest. Not great, not terrible. They don't generate a lot of seals. The team I think might be a little bit more pesky is Portland State with that regard, but it is a Portland State team that they've really been able to ramp up their tempo. This is a team that they now rank in the top 55 with regards to possessions per game. Northern Colorado, they play much like Montana State. Right around 100th with regards to possessions per game. So if you wind up getting Portland State versus Montana State. I'd be setting that total more in the high 140s. And with regards to Northern Colorado, if they do wind up playing against Montana State, I do think that that's going to be very interesting because the last time these two teams wound up playing, it was an 87-85 to final. That was the total that was set right around 149.5. I'd probably be inclined to set it more around a 150. So that's where I stand there once again. We are subject to a little bit of change on that one. So I do want to throw out there that full disclaimer trying to project forward. And we're going to need to try to do that with regards to this next one of the ACC tournament. We go 633, 634 on the betting board. You've got Duke and they're going to be facing off against most likely Virginia Tech. I'm doing this in the second half of the game right now. You've got Virginia Tech up double figures on NC State. So if it does wind up being North Carolina, this is probably going to be a spread that is going to be relatively similar in my opinion. If it would be North Carolina, I'd be setting this spread more around a 7-ish. I think that the total would need to be a little bit bigger, but I do think that we're going to be getting Virginia Tech in this spot, and as long as that's the case, setting Duke as a 6-point favorite and making this total 136, we've got a Virginia Tech team that they do a good job of being able to slow things out to a crawl. Very controlled team as they rank in the bottom 20 with regards to possessions grain, but you take a look at this Virginia Tech team. Top 10 in all of college basketball in terms of 3-point shooting percentage. Entered into yesterday, hitting 38.9% of their threes, and got a pair of guys, Sean Badula along Darius Maddox. They both rank in the top 25 with regards to total D1 qualifying players in terms of 3-point shooting percentage, including Maddox, who has been really able to do a solid job for this team. 8-plus points in now 6 of the team's last 8 contests. You've got on top of that a pair of guys that are able to do a solid job down low. Kevio Luma along Justin Mutz. These two guys combined for 14 rebounds. Mutz, a little bit of a Swiss Army knife guy. 10 points, 3.5 assists, steal, block for contest. Aluma's able to give you a block. 15.5 points per contest to be able to pace the team, but 
You've got Naheem Alim along with Hunter Couture, both giving you right around 10 points per contest. They're shooting right around 40% from three-point range. Storm Murphy has had his ups and his downs with his Virginia Tech team, but I did like what I saw out of him yesterday. He wound up having five assists in the first 25 minutes of the contest, and you've got a Virginia Tech team that has really been able to take over on defense as well. This is a bunch that they did wind up playing that harebrained game against Notre Dame, but if you look at games that wound up wrapping up in regulation because Clemson, they wound up scoring in regulation 66 points before they wound up going to over overtime in that game. This is a bunch that they've given up 70 points or fewer in pretty much every one of their games ever since they wound up having that crazy Pittsburgh game on the 5th of February. So they've been able to lock things down there. And then you've got a Duke team that you've got Paolo Boncaro and we all know what he's able to bring to the table. Guy that has a very unique skill set. Guy that has been able to give this team right in the neighborhood about 17.7 boards per game. Mark Williams is a guy that I like he's able to give you two and a half blocks. Does a good job of being able to protect down low. He's able to give you a double figure amount of points. And then what I think is going to be very key. What are you going to be able to get out of Jeremy Roach? Because Jeremy Roach has had his ups and his downs with his Duke team. But take a look at what he's been able to do recently. And it's been pretty darn solid. You even go back to yesterday. Came in off the bench. Went three of from the floor, was able to give the team quite a few rebounds, a guy that began his career as a little bit more of a facilitator, still giving the team right around three assists per contest, but has really turned into a little bit more of a scorer for the team, double figures in four out of the last six games, and then you've been able to have Trevor Keels do a solid job for this bunch yesterday, wound up having just four points, so he's a guy that has certainly had his ups and downs. You take a look at the last five games for the team, 4, 27, 12, 14, and four points. It's a Duke team that, as a whole, they've been rather inconsistent, a team that does rank right around 65th with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis, and a team that doesn't turn the ball over right around 10.5 turnovers for a contest. Both of these teams relatively solid with that regard, but I do think that Virginia Tech is going to do a good job of being able to get their pace. I think that it's going to be a little bit more of a control game, so I did wind up saying this line. Duke being a six-point favorite, and I wound up making my total a 136. As we go to 635, 636 on the banging board, you've got Louisiana Tech, and they are going to be facing off in the Conference USA Final out there in Frisco, Texas with UAB. The Blazers of UAB find themselves a 3 to 3.5 point favorite. Total is all over the place. Anywhere between 134.5 and 136.5. And this is a total that I did wind up setting at a 139. So I'm going to be taking a look at the over. We've got a pair of teams that when they wound up meeting up, both of these teams were getting to 70 on the regular. And as a matter of fact, UAB has gotten to at least 75 in both of these games. Now, it is a little bit of a different setup. We've been noticing that quite a few games have been going under in this conference USA title, as Jim Root was mentioning. But this is a UAB team that they do a good job of being able to attack the rim. And really, both of these teams do a solid job of that, which is why I do think that you are going to see quite a few points because that takes a shooter's eye out of it. Now, UAB as a collective, they're shooting 37.8% for three-point range and 73% at the free line overall for the season. They rank in the top 40 in both points scored and points allowed on a per-possession basis. Louisiana Tech has been a team that has been bumping up their tempo. Both of these teams do now rank in the top one with regards to possessions per game after last year. Both were a little bit more slow, a little bit more controlled. Louisiana Tech, they rank right around 129th with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis, giving up 11.5 more points per 100 possessions when they are on a road slash huge court environment rather than at home. And UAB is going to have the best score out there on the floor. That'd be Jordan Walker. 19 and a half points, five assists, steal and half per contest, shooting 41% from three-point range. I do think that the bigs are going to be able to give Kenny Lofton a lot of fits as you've got Trey Jamison who's able to give you seven and a half boards. He's able to give you one and a half blocks per game. True seven-footer KJ Buffin, 10 points, six and a half boards. He's able to give you a little bit of versatility as well. And then you do take a look at this Louisiana Tech team. They do a good job of being able to take care of the ball themselves. Both of these teams, they commit right around 11 
an average turnovers per contest. You do have a UAB team that they get right around 10 steals per game. Louisiana Tech, they don't have as much of that. Right around 6.5 steals per game. You do have Lofton, who I mentioned, 16.5 points, 10.5 boards. And then Keeson Wills, Amari Archibald, they combined to be able to give you 25 points. Both of these guys combined to shoot about 38% from three-point range. But it's a Louisiana Tech team that doesn't have as much depth. You're going to need something like a David Green to be able to step up. But he has been a little bit shaky recently. Eight points a fear in four of the last five games. Has shoot right around 38.5% from three-point range in a road and neutral court environment. But I do think that UAB does have the goods to be able to get the job done. I'm willing to lay up to five here with UAB. Name my total 139. I do think that you wind up getting some late-game fouling. Both of these teams shoot between 72.5 and 73% at the free line with playing a little bit more up-tempo. So looking at the over and looking at UAB. 637, 638 on the betting board. This is one in which we're just not going to know who the opponent is going to be in this Pac-12 final. I've got to think that it's going to be Arizona who's going to be playing in this one and who they're going to be playing between USC and UCLA is to be determined. I do think that both of these teams rather decently match up with Arizona, no question. I do think that you're going to see a little bit of a shorter spread if it does wind up being UCLA. If it winds up being USC, this would be a line that I'd be setting right around 7 and if it winds up being UCLA, I'd be more inclined to set a spread more around about a three and a half to a four-ish. So that's where we're looking with regards to both situations. You've got to think that Kirk Kudisa is going to be out the fold for this one, but you've got Ben Matherin, who's been able to do a terrific job for this Arizona team. Right around 17 and a half points. He's able to give you five and a half boards. Able to shoot 38 and a half percent from three-point range, and then with that UCLA four and a half, might adjust it a point and a half greater or worse, depending on Johnny Juzang, how he looks if UCLA is able to get the job done, because he's been rather shaky recently. You do have a solid point guard for this Arizona Arizona team that has been able to step in with the injury to Kirk Reese, so that would not be Dallin Terry. Right around seven and a half points, four and a half fours, four assists. Guy that really does a solid job with just being a little bit of a do-everything guy for this Arizona team. You take a look at what Arizona was able to do against Colorado yesterday, and despite the fact that Colorado wound up shooting darn near 50% from three-point range in Arizona. They wind up having their share of turnovers. Taylor was able to dole out the ball. And then you had Justin Kyer, a pretty much sixth-year guy that winds up coming out of George Mason along with, I believe, Georgia. He wound up having a double-figure amount of points as Zulu Sabellis was able to do a solid job down low. 18 points, seven boards in the game yesterday. But boy, I think you really need to get going. Christian Coloco, 12 points, seven boards. A guy that's able to give you 2.7 blocks per contest. Whenever he's been in foul trouble, Arizona has been a team that has been a little bit more prone to struggling. And then when it comes to USC and UCLA both have a little bit of a post presence that is going to be able to do a solid job. Isaiah Mobley, a little bit more versatile for USC. He's able to give you right around 14.5 points, 8.5 boards, a guy that from three-point range has been able to bury right around 38% of his triples. But you take a look at Miles Johnson for UCLA, I probably am thinking he's probably going to be able to get the job done, but he has been able to do a very solid job recently going into yesterday. Four blocks in the team's last three contests. Gives you six rebounds in right around 18 and a half minutes per contest in the Tiger Campbell. 4.3 assists and 1.3 turnovers while shooting 40% from three USC as a whole. They're a team that they're shooting better at the free line. They shoot only about 67% at the charity stripe. So if it winds up being USC against Arizona, I'm setting that line probably closer to a 7, 7.5 with UCLA. I'd be more inclined to make it between a 4 and 4.5 if it does wind up being UCLA versus Arizona, the total, in my opinion, should be a little bit lower because if you do wind up getting USC in there, they're a team that they've been a little bit more shaky on defense. They're more around 45th in the country with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. Meanwhile, if you take a look at what you're able to get out of this UCLA team, they've been more in the top 20. So I do think that that's very intriguing to take a look at if it does wind up being UCLA versus Arizona. Probably going to be setting a total that's going to be hovering right around about a 144-ish with USC. It will probably be closer to about a 
7, but a lot of determining factors there. So we are subject to quite a bit of change, unfortunately. 639, 640 on the banking board. Whack finalized. You're going to have New Mexico State. They want to survive any advancing against Grand Canyon. Their opponent completely do be determined as you're going to have either Evelyn Christian or Seattle U. I think that Abilene Christian should be able to get the job done. And if you do wind up getting New Mexico State versus Abilene Christian, I think that that would be very much an interesting matchup as you do have to go back quite a ways for the last time that these two teams wound up matching up. You would have to go all the way back to January, a game in which New Mexico State was able to get the job done in. I'd be setting New Mexico State more around a four to four and a half point favorite in that game. I'd probably be setting a total right around the low 140s. And then you take a look if they wind up getting Seattle. Seattle actually wound up having a golden opportunity against New Mexico State, and they were just unable to get the job done a few weeks ago. That was a game which New Mexico State was a three-point road favorite, and I think that that's relatively in line. I do think that you'd be setting it at a six because you wind up having three points for a new neutral court, so I'd probably be setting this line right around a five and a half to a six, just depending upon how Seattle would wind up looking at. With New Mexico State, you know exactly who the headline scorer for this team is going to be. Teddy Allen, 19 and a half points, seven boards, two and a half assists. You've got a New Mexico State team that they don't necessarily should have well from three-point range, 32 and a half percent from distance, and they're going to be facing, regardless of if it's going to be Abilene Christian or Seattle, a relatively solid defense, as you've got a Seattle team that with your points a lot on a per-possession basis, entered in the 920th, Abilene Christian 31st, but they're just completely different animals. Seattle is not a team that's going to go out there do a whole bunch of pickpocketing or anything like that. This is a Seattle bunch at, they get right around seven seals per contest. Abilene Christian, they're in the top 10 in all of college basketball. They generate over 11 seals per contest with Abilene Christian. It's a whole, is greater than the sum of its parts approach with this team. Corian Mason is able to give you 12 points per contest, and Arian Simmons is the only guy that's giving you more than 4.5 points per game. He gives you 5.5 rebounds, 11.5 points per game. Meanwhile, Seattle, you've really got a 3-headed monster at the backcourt. Arian Trammell, Cam Tyson, along with Riley Grigsby. These three guys have been able to combine to be able to give you right around 44-ish points per contest. Tyson, best 3-point shooter on the team, 37.5% from distance. Arian Trammell's Mr. Dude, all 16.5 points, 5 assists, 2.5 seals. Shoots right around 35% from 3. Grigsby chips in there 13 points, has a little bit more of a beer score, and all three of these guys shoot at least 80% of the free line, but a lack of depth is also taking hold in there as well. It's a New Mexico State team that they've got a quite a few other guys that they're able to look to as well. They're not necessarily going to be headline guys, but like Sir Jabari Rice, for instance, 12 points, 5.5 boards, Will McNair along Johnny McCants, combined to be able to give you about 14 points, 10 boards between the two of them. So while New Mexico State doesn't necessarily do a great job from the perimeter, they do a good job of being able to just stifle you on defense. They do a solid job with regards to being able to get the ball inside as well. And it is a New Mexico State team that they're prone to turnovers with right around 14 per contest. So I do think that Abilene Christian would stand a little bit of a better shot against them. Like I said, if it's Seattle, I'm probably setting that line right around 5.5 to 6. If it does wind up being Abilene Christian, I'm probably going to be setting that line a little bit closer to a three and a half to a four-ish. And in both cases, I'd probably be setting a low 140s total if it's Seattle, probably right around 141-ish. And if it is Abilene Christian, probably a tad bit higher, right around more like a 142 to 143. Once again, we are subject to a little bit of change there. And we're going to be wrapping things up for the normal Las Vegas betting board with another game that it's going to be a lot of speculation, unfortunately. 641, 642 on the betting board as you've got yourself the Big West final. In the first Big West final, you did wind up seeing Long Beach State be able to get the job done against UC Santa Barbara, 67-64 in a game in which you did wind up having a pretty nice collapse here from UC Santa Barbara. I'm actually reacting to this live. Santa Barbara wound up getting outscored by a count of 7-0 in the final about minute of this game. So, boy, oh boy, what a calamity in that spot. But when it comes to Long Beach State, this is a team that I feel like they should be in the favorite, regardless of if it's going to be Hawaii or Cal State Fullerton. It's a Long Beach State team that they began the year playing 
relatively bad on defense. We're going to call it what it is, but they've really been able to form themselves recently. What I do like about this Long Beach State team is that you've got a backcourt that gives you a combined 30 points per contest between Colin Slater and what you've been able to get also out of Joel Murray. It was Slater who was able to get the job done yesterday with 30 points, and it's really been Joel Murray who's been a very solid guy for this team doing it all, shooting 37% from three-point range now on the road. He only shoots more around 30% from distance, had 20-plus points in four of the last five games prior to yesterday, and Slater, he shoots right around 40% from three-point range. You've got Abadou Treyer, who down low for Long Beach State has really been able to do a good job with right around eight rebounds per contest, and now you've got Jordan Roberts who's been able to do a nice job being a little bit more versatile for the team. Nine points, four and a half rebounds per contest. Guy that wanted to miss a little bit of time this year, but it's been able to come back. It's been able to do a solid job. If it's Hawaii or Cal State Fullerton, this is a total that is probably going to be somewhere in the mid-130s. Hawaii is a little bit slower with regards to their tempo than Cal State Fullerton. Hawaii is right around 300th. Cal State Fullerton more on 275th, and Cal State Fullerton is a team that they're not quite the same on defense, but both of these teams right around I would say the 90 to 125th range with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. Fullerton going into the game against Hawaii yesterday was doing a better job on defense giving up 64 points or fewer in three of their last five contests, and Hawaii has been playing some stifling defense going into yesterday. 67 points or fewer were given up in each other the last five contests with Hawaii. You do have much more of a fear of the three-point shot, though they've dealt with a little bit of an injury to Noel Coleman. Top scorers not played since mid-February, but when it comes to Hawaii, you do have other guys are able to come through and help out the team. Someone like a junior Mado and Bernardo de Silva down low have been able to give you a combined about 20 and a half points per contest. Mado is able to shoot 39% for three. You've got de Silva along Jerome DeSiris combined for 13 rebounds, 20 or so points per contest. DeSiris, this guy that's in six foot nine, he's able to pop three, said about a 34% clip. And then Kamika Hapa has been able to give you nine and a half points, five and a half fours. I like the way that he's able to shoot it from three at right around 40% away. It's been a little bit better away from the island than in past years. And then for Fullerton, not a team that's going to light it up from three-point range. They shoot right around 32% from distance, but they shoot 77% of the free line. Each other top four scores going into yesterday were shooting above 78% at the free line. EJ Onisiki is able to give you 16 points, eight boards per contest. I do think that Fullerton would have a little bit of a better shot in a game against Long Beach State because you take a look at the last time these two teams wound up playing, you have to go back to, I would say, mid-February. Long Beach State was able to get the job done in that spot by kind of 71-61, and Fullerton was actually the road favorite in that game, but Long Beach State was able to punk them going 9-24 from three-point range, only nine turnovers in that game. Meanwhile, Fullerton wound up having 15. And then Hawaii, when they wound up going up against Long Beach State, you have to go back a little bit of a further ways to about early February. Long Beach State went on the road. They got the job done by a kind of 73 to 66 a game, which should probably be a neutral court. I would say pick em game at the time, but that was with Noel Coleman in the fold. So if it does wind up being Hawaii, I'd probably be setting this line right around Long Beach State being a three and a half, maybe a four point favorite, depending upon how they look. And then it would be a total that I'd be setting, like I said, in the more mid to high 130s. I think that you've got that with regards to really both of these games, probably a point or two more if you do wind up having Kelsey Fullerton out there. And if it does wind up being Kelsey Fullerton, that line will be a little bit closer to two. Now we hit the extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. We go in Las Vegas rotation order with these as well. We begin with a game that actually has numbers 306001, UMBC is going to be taking on Vermont. True home game for Vermont, as this is for the America East title, as they are anywhere between 15 and 15 and a half point favorites. Vermont is in your Toronto's game is anywhere between 142 and 142 and a half. And when it comes to UMBC, I think that they're outgunned in this game, but I don't think that they're outgunned to the point of 15 points. Set this one at 14. You got a Vermont team that's in the 
top 20 with regards to offensive efficiency, merely the points scored on a per-possession basis. Ryan Davis, Ben Chungu, a combined 33 points, 10 boards. You've got Chungu shooting 42% for three, and Davis, who's six foot eight, shoots 41% from long range. He's able to give you a block per contest. Isaiah Bumbo Powell has been terrific. Eight and a half points, six and a half boards, three assists. You've got a Vermont team as a whole. They shoot 75% of the free line, 36.5% from three, and they're 9.8 turnovers per game in the top 15 in all of college basketball. UMBC, though, they do a good job of being able to value the ball themselves, and they shoot 78.5% of the free line, 38% from three-point range. You've got Keontae Kennedy, who's really been the main guy for the team, 15 points, five boards. He shoots 41.5% from three-point range. Darnell Rogers, he's the little five-foot-two shifty guy that's able to give you 12 points, 3.8 assists. Has done a nice job at the point guard spot and being a little bit of a scorer as well, despite his size. And then you've been able to get yeah, Obeng Masena, who's been able to give you seven points, five and a half rebounds per game, but he's seen a little bit of a dip in his minutes recently. He's actually been the top rebounder for the team, but you take a look at the last four games. 10-0, 1-5 rebounds. You can expect a little bit more consistency out of Simon Wojcik, who's been able to give you seven points, three and a half boards. Gentleman that winds up coming in from Poland has really been able to do a good job recently for this team. He's been able to give you at least 11 points in four of the last five contests. He has been able to give you 27 rebounds in the last three games, coupled with six blocks, so he's actually been good on the interior. I don't know if he's going to be able to take Ryan Davis, but I think that he's going to be able to hold in that fight. I do think that UMBC is going to be able to bury a couple three free throws. I do think that it's going to be a little bit of a tough time for it. I mean, let's call it what it is. When UMBC went on the road and faced off against Vermont a few weeks ago, that was an 86-59 game. In that game, you wound up having Vermont wind up shooting right around 54% from the floor. It is a UMBC team that they wound up shooting more around 40% from the field. It's still a relatively solid Vermont team with regards to defense. This is typically a team that they hang their head on defense. They're not necessarily doing as much of that this year, but I mean, still, with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis, they are 35th. They actually allowed three more points per 100 when they are at home rather than on the road for UMBC. A little bit of a suspect defense. They rank 272nd with this regard, but home and road splits, they actually do just as good on the road rather than at home. So I do think that UMBC going to be able to win this game. Semi total at 140. You've got a Vermont team that they rank in the bottom 30 with regards to possessions frame. UMBC, not a Blazer either, a mid tempo team. So I'm going to be taking a look at this total under, and I'm going to be willing to take the points here with UMBC. 306003306004. Norfolk State and Compensate are going to be doing battle. No numbers currently up on this game, but I did wind up making Norfolk State an eight and a half point favorite. This is a game that is being played at Scope Arena out there in Norfolk, Virginia, and it's a spot in which I do think that Norfolk State could be able to get the job done. They are the best defense that you're going to find out there in this conference. With regards to points allowed on a per possession basis, Norfolk State is finding themselves clocking in in the top 30 in all of college basketball, and it's a Norfolk State team that they've got Joe Bryan Jr. out there in the backcourt who should be able to take over this game. He's able to give you right around 16 and a half points, five boards per contest. It's a Norfolk State team that they're solid from three-point range. You're not going to completely light you ablaze by any stretch of the imagination, but at the same time, you've got a pair of guys, Dana Tate along Christian Ings, who have been able to combine to shoot about 43 and a half percent for three. Both guys give you between nine and a half and 10 points per contest. Chris Bankson led all of college basketball during the 2018-19 season in terms of field goal shooting percentage among qualifying players. 11 and a half points, 6.9 boards per game. And then Jalen Hawkins, 13 points per game, being able to shoot 35 and a half percent from three-point range has been absolutely terrific. On the flip side, for Compensate, this is a team that they've been dealing with quite a few injuries. Jesse Zarzula is now back to full, and he looked like he was fully healthy in the game yesterday after he wanted missing darn near a month, 27 points, 7 assists, to 2 turnovers against NC Central to be able to get the team into this spot. Compensate, yesterday they wound up shooting 12-29 from 3-point range against NC Central. I don't see that duplicating itself for the year. 
prior to yesterday. They were shooting 39% from the floor, 30% from three, and they've been dealing with an injury to Tyree Corbett. Corbett is their main rebounder, who's averaging right around 13 points, nine boards per contest, returned yesterday against NC Central for 21 and 15. I don't know if he's going to be able to do it back-to-back, though. I do have my question marks with that regard, and you do have a guy, Nita Tark, who I think is one of the more underrated players in all of college basketball for compensate. 13.7 boards, two and a half assists, generates two seals per contest, but with that said, this is a Norfolk State team that they do a better job of being able to hold on to the ball than compensate. Compensate right around 15 and a half for North Green. Norfolk State more around 13 and a half for contest. I do think the Norfolk State could be able to do a solid job against the returner and Corbett down low. I think that that'll allow them to be able to control this game. Did wind up saying my total at a 140 and a half. Compensate and Norfolk State, two relatively up-tempo teams, but with compensate, with regards to offensive efficiency, points scored on a per-possession basis, they rank in the bottom 75 in all of college basketball. Norfolk State a little bit better, but you just take a look at this Norfolk State defense and how stifling they have been. They have now given up 67 Six points or fewer in each out of their last five games. And for that matter, they've allowed more than 66 points just once in every one of their games that they have played since the beginning of the month of February. So that's nine games in total. So I'm going to be setting my total at 140.5 and me Norfolk State in a nine-point favorite. 306-005, 306-006. You've got Texas Southern, and they're going to be playing out there in the Spike Championship. This is out there in the great state of Alabama, and they're going to be facing off with Elkhorn State, who wound up just surviving and advancing as I'm doing this podcast. And with the Texas Southern team, I'm going to be setting them as a four-and-a-half-point favorite. This is a Texas Southern team that I think is going to be able to win from within because you got a Texas Southern bunch in which you've got four different guys that give you at least four rebounds per game. Meanwhile, you've got an Alcorn State team in which it certainly is a case in which the whole is greater than some of its parts with them. You've got one guy in Justin Thomas who winds up coming in from Warhead State. So he will do a solid job of being able to run the point guard spot for the team. Right around 10 points, four assists, four boards. So, I mean, he just gives you a little bit of everything. But at the same time, you're going to need to get a little bit more down low against this team. Now, it's a Texas Southern bunch that they shoot right around 30% from three-part range. They're one of the lesser teams in all of college basketball. Well, this is a team that they're certainly going to be looking to attack the rim. And then when it comes to what you're able to get out of John Walker the third, he's able to do a very solid job with this Texas Southern team. Able to give you a couple of assists. A guy that from three-point range has really been one of their top scorers in the mid-30s with that regard. Dominic Bruton on the flip side for this Alcorn State team has been able to do a solid job being able to give you nine points per contest line. Al Henry, eight and a half points, five and a half points. A guy that from three-point range has been able to actually shoot it quite well. A guy that shoots right around 40% from three-point range despite being a little bit of a taller guy right around six foot seven has come in for Prairie View and has been able to do a very very solid job with this bunch, but at the same time, I do think that you've got yourself a Texas Southern team that should be able to exact revenge from what we wound up seeing a couple days ago when these two teams wound up matching up towards the back half of February. It was a cage in which Elkhorn State was able to get the job done on the road by kind of the 75 to 72. That was a game in which things wound up getting a little bit harebrained. You wound up seeing Elkhorn State be able to win the game at the free line, 16 of 23 at the charity stripe, 18 of 28 for Texas Southern Elkhorn State overall for the year. They will shoot right around 69.5% at the free line. They get a little bit careless with ball 14 turnovers for contest. Meanwhile, this is a Texas Southern team that they themselves turn the ball over right around 15 times per game. They shoot right around 67% at the free line, so neither of these teams are necessarily great, but Bryson Gresham 7.7 boards comes in from Houston being able to give the team two blocks per contest. I do think it's going to be able to spring Texas Southern to victory. Both of these teams very much mid-tempo team, so I'm going to be setting my total here at a 132.5. I do think that you're going to get a lot more defense than what we wound up seeing the last time around, and 
I do think that Texas Southern gets the job done, and I'm going to lay up to four and a half with them, and we wrap things up with 306-0073-6008. Southeast Louisiana is going to be taking on Texas A&M Corpus Christi from Katy, Texas. You've got Corpus Christi find themselves a one and one and a half point favorite in your total on this game, 149. Semi-total at 152 and a half. Southeast Louisiana has scored at least 80 points in all but one of their games ever since the beginning of the month of February, so they've been playing a very harebrained approach. You've got a pair of teams that they rank in the top 35 in terms of total possessions per game, so you can expect a very up-tempo and a very lively game, and you take a look at what you're able to get on the Texas A&M Corpus Christi team. I think that they're going to be able to win from within with Isaac Mushila, who's been able to give you 13.5 points, 9.5 points, shoots right around 30% from three-point range, not necessarily his forte. He does a better job of just being able to crash glass, does a solid job of being able to give you 1.2 seals per contest as well as a 6.5 combo player. Meanwhile, Southeast Louisiana, they've got a little bit of an edge out there in the backcourt. Gus Okafer, Keon Clairjoe, they're able to combine for 28.5 points per contest with Okafer, shoots 34.5% from three, Clairjoe more around 36.5% from three, they combine to shoot 80% the free throw in Louisiana, they shoot 75.2% the charity stripe, 36% from three, they generate eight seals per contest, but they also turn the ball over 14 times per game. These two teams wound up splitting during the regular season, both teams being able to get a nine plus point win on the other on the road. It's a Southeast Louisiana team that last time around Gus Okafer wound up having 32 points, 13 boards in an 83 to 74 win in that contest. Corpus Christi wound up going just 5 of 24 from 3 point range, and the guy that made 4 of those 3 is Terry Vion Tennyson, who's able to give you 12.5 points per contest. Guy that shoots 37.5% from 3 point range. has seen a little bit more of a limitation with his minutes recently, but you do have a guy out there that does a good job in Terry Arn Mardu, who's able to throw out the ball right around 9.5 points, 4.5 boards, 3.5 assists. Swiss Army Knife guy that shoots 43% from 3 point range, double figures in each of the team's last 5 contests, at least 9 points in each of the last 7. He's really been able to do a solid job for the team, and I do think that with Texas A&M Corpus Christie. What is going to be really key for this team is the fact that you've been able to have all of a sudden the number two guard in Simeon Fryer. Come on, he had 20 points yesterday. A guy that has really been able to light it up with 12 plus points in now four of the team's last six contests, shooting nearly 40% from three-point range in road and neutral court environments. So, semi-total 152.5. I'm looking over. I'm Texas a and Corpus Christi. Made them a three-and-a-half point favorite, so one delay here. And that will wrap things up for the Saturday edition of Cubs Coast Soup. Now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. A big thanks to our good buddy Jim Root of the three-man weave for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast Coast Hoops, you're able to subscribe wherever you hear your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment, idea, whatever you for this podcast, you've got one or two ways to be able to those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at JRSquarty1. Keep in mind, letters EM. Maybe it does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. And the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're both finding whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Find that five-star review. Coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season, and that means I'm coming at you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. 